Well, good morning. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors. I'm really loud. Uh, <laughs> one of the pastors here. Uh, good to see everybody. Um, I'm really excited to kick off uh, John. I think this is going to be uh, an incredible time as we, as we dig through this. And, and we're going to be bouncing back and forth, right? So we did this as we went through 1 Corinthians. So um, let me just encourage you guys. I'll just say it from the outset. Like, um, if you're on our text train, if you just respond group, it'll take you to a form, and I would love to get you guys plugged into one of our groups, um, because the groups are going to be going through uh, the p- pieces and parts that we aren't. So I'm going to go through John 1, uh, 1 through 18 to here, and then we're, you guys are going to individually go through 19, I think through the end of chapter 1, and then we'll be back in here, chapter 2. So it's going to do this as we go through John, because otherwise it would take us forever to get through the book of John. Um, but it's also good because I want, we want our conversation to be the same. We want us to all be dwelling on the same truths, to be able to pick up where each other are left off. Um, if you're not in a small group or you can't be in a small group, I encourage you to do this in your families and, and keep the conversation going. Hi. <laughs> um, so it's great seeing everybody back from summer and all this, so uh, super cool. Let me... Um, Let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We do thank you for this community. Thank you for this family. And God, as we put our lives before you, Father, this is not just in words. It's our lives. And we pray that as we're presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, as we see week in and week out who Jesus is, what he said about himself, what others said about him, how those around him responded. I pray, Father, that you would convict us, that you would reassure us, remind us, and cause us to adore you more and more every day. Father, we thank you for sending your son. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen. So we did not do little John uh, Bible things, okay? Um, So turns out we have a bunch of Bibles littered all over the place. You probably have one on your phone. If you don't, I'd encourage you to get it. Like, like, you can, you can, there's no theft here when it comes to Bibles. So you can (laughs) steal all the Bibles, you know, like, we'll just buy more or whatever. But um, seriously, they're littered all around the place. Grab one, take one, write in it. Um, when you go home and you're studying in between, like write in it, write down your notes, write down your thoughts, write down the connections, because what we're going to see is that John is very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And if you're familiar with uh, the Bible and especially the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. And they're, they're, those three are grouped together differently. John is different. And we'll see why here in a second. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all grouped together, and they tell different facets of Jesus from a very biographical perspective. They start at the beginning, and they work their way through Jesus' life for the most part. And, they, and they, there's, there's different shades and different facets that each one is trying to capture. They're writing to different audiences, right? But they're pretty similar. You guys have probably seen this, right? Um, as you read one, you're like, I don't know which gospel that was in, but I know I read this story or this parable in one of them. John's totally different. It's still an account of Jesus, and so it's still a gospel. Oh, by the way, all of these are called the gospel according to 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's one gospel. It's not the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, despite what we commonly use. According is too long of a word, I guess. Um, And so what we see, though, is that John is very different. You know there's no parables in John? Not a single one. Not only that, John doesn't address some really pretty significant things that, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about. And so as we dive through this, we're going to be asking ourselves, why? And what's the purpose? Why is John skipping over some things? Not including some, including some unique things that the others do not include. In fact, what we're going to see is this, this first part is actually through chapter 11. And what we're, it's not up there. Can you go back one slide? And what we're calling it, the signs of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Thank you. It's the signs of Jesus in the Gospel of John. So we're going to see that John is walking through these different signs that Jesus does. And it's very, actually, pretty impressively structured and organized. And what's going to happen is there's going to be something he's going to do. He's going to explain it, and people are going to respond. And you're going to see people not respond well to it. (laughs) And you're going to see people respond well to it. John is creating this sense of, what are you doing with Jesus? What do you do with us? Pick, pick something. He is either a complete liar or he's crazy. He's a lunatic. Or, and we covered this a little bit in the last year as we walked through the Bible, it's, he's just a legend and none of these things really happened, but he grew, right, in, in legend or he's Lord. Those are your options. C.S. Lewis pared it down to that Many years ago, liar, lunatic, or Lord, pick one. The, the legend one is, is, is kind of another one, another shade on it. But, but you have to pick one. The world has to pick one of those. There is no moral teacher. There is no prophet. Those categories don't exist. Because what we're going to see as we walk through John is it's very clear what Jesus is saying about himself. And so we're going to step through it. We're going to see what all that looks like. But we're going to start in John chapter 20, verse 30. And this is where John sets off, and he says, let me, and this is obviously at the very end, um, but he's very clear about what his purpose of writing all of this was. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. So what does that tell us? John wasn't trying to build an exhaustive biography of Jesus. That was not his goal. He goes, there was a lot of other stuff. It didn't make the cutting room floor. Like, I left it off. Like, there was a list. Oh, by the way, we talked about it. John's inspired, right? God's, God's inspiring him, and he's, he's going through these things. He's like, I'm not going to include that. He doesn't include the genealogy of Jesus. He doesn't include any of the birth story. He decides, inspired by the Holy Spirit, not to include those. He doesn't have time. He has a purpose, and his purpose is mentioned next, which are not written in this book, but these are written, these stories So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's it. John has, he's not hiding the main character for some great reveal at the end. He's not playing around with literary things. He's not not trying to walk through this systematic. He is very clear about his intentions. He goes, listen. I'm trying to get you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
So that's, that's where we're starting this morning. That's where we're gonna spend our next time. And so every morning we come in here and we're talking about this. Every time we're opening up the book of John, we need to be asking ourselves, is this helping us to believe, to continue to believe, to believe from the outside? Some of you in here maybe haven't placed your trust in Christ. In which case, John is great because he's the one, right, as he documents these things that he presents us with an opportunity and goes, so what do you believe? Do you believe him now? For those of us who have been following Christ for some time, we read this and we go, that's right. I can't just put Jesus in my back pocket. He's different. He's God. And so that's John's purpose as we dive in here. All right, so who, who is John? We'll, we'll spend a little, bit about, uh, little bit of time about this. As far as the dating, somewhere between 65 and 85 AD is generally where people date John writing this. He also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation, okay? This is not John the Baptist, okay? This is a different, different person, okay? Um, uh, frankly, I have to like, I had to Google this a few times in my life where I'm like, who is it that wrote John again? There seems, seems like there's so many Johns, right? So who, who is he? How did all this come about? Okay, so if you look at the initial chapters of Matthew and you look at the initial chapters of John, you, you build this picture of where Jesus is calling the disciples. The interesting part is that you have Andrew, who doesn't get a lot of airtime, <laughs> but Andrew, he is with John the Baptist, on the Jordan River, baptized, you know, like with John and part of all his disciples. And Jesus walks by. And John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. And, and so Andrew goes and starts talking to Jesus. And he's following Jesus. And he's like, where, is he, where are you staying? There's another guy with him. We don't know who it is. It never mentions who the other disciple was. And then and it says that Andrew went home and told his brother. Guess who Andrew's brother is? Peter. The Peter, okay? Like the, you know, who everybody knows is Peter. That was Andrew's brother. So Peter finds out about Jesus. How? Through his brother, which is kind of cool. Like Peter wasn't even there. He goes, he goes, we found the Messiah. And so he brings Peter to Jesus. And, he, and, and Jesus goes, his name was actually Simon at the time. And so Jesus goes, actually, I'm going to change your name right now, <laughs> which is pretty bold, right? And so Jesus goes, hi, nice to meet you, Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. And so there's Andrew and Peter. And then we don't know what happens. It, there's a break. We pick up in John and we see that Andrew and Peter are out fishing. Guess who their fishing partners are? James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They're out there fishing with their father. And you, you read these things as you're putting together the gospels and it's pretty cool. So here's these four guys that know each other. You got to imagine that if, that if Andrew had told Peter, they're out there fishing. I don't know what you do when you fish. I'm not a big fisherman, but you just talk, I guess, or don't talk. I don't know. But, but so, so you got to imagine that Andrew and Peter are like, hey, James, John, dude, guess who we met? The Messiah, right? I mean, that would have been a huge thing for them to be talking about. And then what we see is that Jesus walks along the shore and he sees them fishing. He tells them to cast their net on the other side of the boat and, and the, the guys hadn't caught anything. And now all of a sudden they catch a bunch and James and John come over and help them out. They drag the fish to the shore, all this stuff, and they, they drop everything and they follow Jesus. And that's how the first four of them start following Jesus. And so John was that dude. That's, that's the John. Here's what's also interesting. There's like an inner circle of Jesus' disciples. Peter, James, and John. That's three of the four. Kind of makes you wonder, 
I don't, I don't know. But like, you, you think Andrew was like, dude, <laughs> I introduced all of you, and now I'm out. You know, no, I mean, it wasn't out. Obviously, he's still one of the disciples, still faithful and all that stuff. But, but for whatever reason, Peter, James, and John have this answer. They're with Jesus at the transfiguration, which, by the way, the gospel of John doesn't even talk about. But they're with him when Jesus, when the glory of God comes down on Jesus in their presence, and he says, this is my son, right? Like, that was a life-changing event for those three guys. Not only that, but we see that, that Peter, James, and John are with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in his lowest, when he's crying out to the Father, going, why? Why is this happening? So this is the John that's writing this. He's, he's, he walked with Jesus. He was with Jesus through his highs, through his lows. In fact, he was so close to Jesus, he never refers to himself. He never refers to himself in the gospel. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Which on, on first, like, reading of that, I'm like, that's pretty arrogant. But it can't be arrogance, right? It, it can't be arrogance. It's the confession of, of somebody who is so overwhelmed by the love of Christ. He doesn't even put his name. He doesn't say, I was there when Jesus was at his highest. I was there, you should listen to me. He doesn't do that. Think about that. I would have done that. I think we all would have done that. We would have been like, dude, you got to listen to me because I was there the whole time. He doesn't do it like that. He just presents Jesus in this pure, unadulterated, this is what he did, this is what he said, what do you think? This is what some people thought and this is what other people thought. Which group are you in? And that's what he does over and over again. John's mother, Salome, was one of the women who was at the crucifixion of Jesus. She was with the other Marys. So John, James, his brother, his father Zebedee, their mother was Salome, and she's mentioned throughout, and she took care of Jesus. In fact, at the very end, at his death, Jesus tells John to take care of Mary. That's how close they are. That's the, that's the human Jesus who's going, who's going to take care of my mom? So there's some, there's some proximity to this. There's some closeness to this. His whole family was tied in. To this, and this is the John that's writing this. And so turn over to John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. When John writes this, he knows that when he writes in the beginning, everybody that has any familiarization with Judaism goes, He's talking about Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He says, in the beginning was the word. So John is tying this directly to Genesis. He's saying that not only in the beginning, 
did God create, but before the creation was the word. The before, before everything. There was Jesus. There was the word. In fact, we we know this is Jesus that he's talking about. Because if you skip down to verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He says, the word became flesh. And so he's going to end up connecting these things and go, the word is Jesus. That's kind of a spoiler, but now i got to back back up into John 1.1. He goes, this, that word is logos. The Greeks would have seen this as a very different first sentence. In fact, if, I, I spent a little bit of time, but it's a little bit... Um, it's kind of nebulous. It's really hard to understand like the Greek philosophy of things, but, but their idea of, of this logos was this transient, like foundational truth that kept life going. In fact, Heraclitus is, is the one that's like uh, famed with kind of coining the term and using it and applying it in philosophy. He lived about 500 BC. In fact, if you read some of his stuff, you're like, yeah, that's pretty good. He was pretty, he was pretty close. In understanding, because what he would say, and I'm super paraphrasing, oh, by the way, we have like a manuscript of, of him, right? So we don't have a lot, but, but what, what he's saying is that, that this, this thing, this controlling force is in the world, but the world doesn't recognize it. <laughs> You're like, hmm, it's interesting, right? Not an inspired writer of God, <laughs> certainly not a prophet, but all truth is God's truth, Right? And so what John is doing here, when he starts off, in the beginning was the word, he's connecting these things. He's saying, do you understand that in the very beginning, this, wasn't, this didn't start with Jesus being born in a manger. It didn't start there. It started in the beginning before God created. And it says in uh, the rest of verse 1, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The first 18 chapters, or 18 verses, what we're spending our time on this morning, is just the prologue. John goes top rope, and he goes, this is is everything. And then he's going to go off and and explain each thing that Jesus does. But, But what he's doing here is he's saying, do you understand who the word of God is, that he was with God. It means he was distinct from God, but he was God, which means they were one in essence. This is, this is two persons of the Trinity that we see right here in the very beginning of John in the second verse. He was both with God and he was God. Jesus is not a man. He is not just a man. He is not just a teacher. You cannot read this and conclude this. In fact, this verse is so difficult for us to accept as a truth because the implications we're going to see over the next few weeks are significant to our lives. Many have played around with that verse, toyed with that verse. In fact, to be To be fair, you can't call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, unless you read this verse for what this verse says. And in fact, what you're going to see is that the cults, the the disparate religions of the world, don't accept this verse. 
In fact, what you'll read in the Joseph Smith translation that the Mormons use to some extent says, and the word was of God. And we got to change this. Why? Because you have to. If your theology is going to be different, if you're going to change who Jesus is, this very second verse in the Gospel of John puts you into a corner. You have to choose. Do I accept what the verse says or do I not? And those who don't, change it. Frankly, Jehovah's Witnesses, the New World Translation, same thing. The word was a God. They have to change it. Why? Because it doesn't line up with their theology. To them, Jesus is an angel a brother of Satan. To the Mormons, we can be just like Jesus. We can reach that same place. You see how fundamentally different these are. You have to take this for what it is and, and go. Do your research. Go dive into it because the, no Greek scholar reads this any way other than what is written in here. The word was with God and the word was Turn over to um, 1 John chapter 1. John writes this very similarly. This was written after the gospel, according to John. He writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John's theology doesn't change. His understanding of Jesus didn't evolve. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God. Look at verse 3. You know, redundancy is a beautiful thing, especially when it comes to interpreting the scriptures. So John's going to explain this a little bit further. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John takes a, a positive side and a negative side. He goes, you get this? Everything was made by him. Everything, like nothing wasn't made by him, right? He's like, yeah, I don't know how else to say this. He's like, everything that falls into the made category, Jesus did. That's how important this is. This is so important because this has been the heresies that have pervaded and jumped into the church. And if you Google Arianism, that's where Jehovah's Witnesses, that's where Mormonism, that's where all of these sects and, and disparate religions fall into because they take this and they play around with it. And they go, that's not what it says. It says that Jesus is eternal with the Father. People go, well, there's no Trinity in the Bible. I don't know how else to read this. 
Our language is insufficient to communicate clearly what the Trinity is and how it operates. Our brains are incapable of communicating this and understanding this fully. But we read the truth. Jesus is with God. And he was God. He was in the beginning. Everything that has been made was made through Jesus. Jesus was not made by the Father. These are important things because as we walk through this, there's going to be implications to each one of these things that Jesus is then going to say. What he ends up saying here and why John is communicating this and spending the time on this is he's saying, when Jesus says something, that's the Father saying it. When Jesus does something, that's the Father doing it. And we're going to see a ton of that. John is very clear that Jesus and the Father are one. So now he's going he's to go from that Jesus is the word of God, and then he's going to show that Jesus is the light of humanity, that there's a purpose in what he's doing. If you look at verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So not only do we read that Jesus was in the beginning, he's going back to Genesis 1 again, right? Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. In fact, if you turn back over to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. John says that, that this word of God isn't just the, the creative power of God, right? When, when God creates, what does he do? He speaks, and it comes into existence. He doesn't assemble materials and then build something. He speaks, and it comes into existence. And so God's word is his power. And so when we say that Jesus is the word of God, it, it is one in essence. It is who God is. And we could go and spend a ton of time talking about like your word is who you are. And if you think about that and just let that percolate a little bit, how else do people know you? By what you say, right? Anyway, so that's a little tangent there. But he says, not only is he the, the creative power of God, he is part of what God is using. There's a purpose to him. God is light. In him is no darkness. And so when Jesus is the light to humanity, what John is saying is that he's coming into this world to bring light, to shine light into the dark corners. John doesn't go so far yet to say the implications of this. He will later on, I think, in like chapter 5 and chapter 6. But he's very clearly setting the stage for that. What does God do? He comes in, he creates, and the light removes darkness. Light always removes darkness. 
The darkness can't overcome it. We know this, right? Does anybody have a flash dark? That didn't even make sense, did it? Like a flashlight, right? You guys with me? You all have a flashlight. Nobody has a flash dark. You can't like turn on something and make light go away. You guys with me? Like think through this for a second. That's how pervasive light is. We just take it for granted. But this is light. And this is God. God is light. He brought the light. When we're in God's presence, that's, there's going to be no darkness. There's going to be no shadows. In fact, the scriptures say that there's no shadow in variation. Like God doesn't move and all of a sudden his shadow moves. There's, it's all light all day, all the time. Maybe it's like, you know, north, like up in Alaska or something, right? In the summer. Not in the winter. It's all light. And so this is what John is saying the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then he transitions and he goes, There was a man sent from God, and this is in verse 6, whose name was John. John is the only one that doesn't refer to John the Baptist as John the Baptist. Everybody else calls him John the Baptist. Why? Well, because there's another John. Not in John's gospel. There's only one John, and it's John the Baptist. Because he doesn't because John, the author, doesn't exist. He's the one whom Jesus loves. Isn't that kind of cool? So he, he calls him John. He says, so there's this man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. You see, there's a purpose. The word of God wasn't just there at the beginning, just creating stuff and then leaving it. There's a purpose. There's, there's a belief. There's a relationship here. He was not the light, meaning John the Baptist, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. You see, that, that last statement there starts to tip a little bit onto the side of what's the, the salvific purpose of the light. It's not just light for us to see and do and live and all of these things. There's a purpose to this light. It's, a, it's an illumination of our soul. It's, it, it, he gives light to everyone. This is that uh, common grace that God gives, that God makes himself known. And he sets himself up and he goes, here's my light, here's who I am. I want you to believe in me. And John says, I want you to believe in him. John the Baptist came to tell you about who he is and to point to him. But the responses aren't always what we would like it to be. Look in verse 10. He, he contrasts two different responses, and this is going to be the pattern throughout his gospel. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. This is Israel. And his own people did not receive him. Why? And this, this begs the question, why was Jesus rejected? In, in light of what John has said up to this point, if you, were, if you had no knowledge about anything that was going to come next in the Gospel of John, you would go, he was in the beginning, everything was created through him, he came as a light, I don't understand, why wouldn't he be received? Wouldn't you? 
You would be left asking that question. That's the purpose of where John's at right now. He's going, they didn't. In fact, he had his own people. They didn't even receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Adoption. This just, this just got really intimate into our lives. We're operating in this very, like, we're all very comfortable with the theology, weren't we? The philosophy. Tell me more about the logos. Tell me more about where Jesus was. But now all of a sudden, John brings it down and he goes, do you receive him? Do you believe in his name? Do you want to be adopted by the creator of the universe? Do you want to be called a child of God? John puts these all together and he goes, which one? Because those who were his people, those who were his children, left him. And those who did receive him became his children. This is an offer to everyone. This is why he says the light came in for everyone. The whole world, right? He's not, God's not going around looking for specific people. He's not looking for you to be clean enough, good enough, sharp enough, smart enough. He's not looking for that. He's looking for acknowledgement that he is the word of God, that he was with God, that he created all things, that he is the light that shines in the darkness. That it's through him that our souls are illumined. And we're convicted and we can either choose to reject the light and hide in the dark corners or let the light shine in. And then we get to verse 14. And he says that, that Jesus became flesh. And we already talked about this one. He says, and, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John continues to jump back to the Old Testament. This, is, this was, as I was studying this, this was, um, I don't think I ever picked up on this. I'm pretty sure I never did. I mean, it's very easy for us to read in the beginning. Okay, yep, Genesis says the same thing. Okay, yep, the word was there. Okay, I'm with you. Oh, okay, God created the light, and now the light is doing this. And then he says that the flesh dwelt among us. Where else did we, do we read about God dwelling among humanity? In Exodus, right? He sets up the Ark of the Covenant, the tent of meeting, and God dwells with humanity. Look at, look at what it says in Exodus chapter 29, uh, verse 43. He says, there, talking about this tent of meeting, there I will meet with the people of Israel. And it shall be sanctified by my glory. Sanctified, made holy, set apart, purposeful. Verse 44, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priest. Verse 45, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. 
I don't think I put verse 46, but I should have. Verse 46 says, And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You see, this has happened before. Go back and read in Exodus, and you see God dwell on the top of Mount Sinai, and his presence, his glory being manifested to humanity for a time. And then we have, the, he gives these, all these instructions around it, and this is where people get bored when they're reading Exodus, but, but there's a purpose to it. He's like, build it like this. Do it just like this. Everything needs to be perfect and precise. Why? He goes, because I'm going to dwell there. You can't have dirty carpets. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to dwell there. It better be nice. Not, not in, like, uh, I totally, that was a little blasphemous. So, I, but in a very real sense, right? Like, like this was holy. It was consecrated. And so what do we see? We see that, that John says that he became flesh and dwelt among us. And then we read in 1 John, right? We saw him. They touched him. They knew him. They ate with him. They saw him cry. They saw him hungry. They saw him thirsty. They saw him angry. They saw him sorrowful. They saw God. Every day they woke up. And they probably didn't get it. And I got to imagine like, Every morning we got up, we were with God. Why didn't we know that? But that's the truth. They woke up in the morning, and they were with him. And everything he said was truth. And everything he said, his words were perfect. That's this Jesus. And what do we get? Where did that go? Jesus left us, and what did he do? He gave us the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us now. We sit here, and we're like, man, it would be so nice, wouldn't it, to like be able to eat with Jesus? You can. Just put your Bible on your dinner table and read a little bit. Spend a little bit of time praying. God has chosen to dwell with us. Do we get this? Do we, do we get how incredible that is? This, this holy, amazing God succumbs himself condescends himself, humbles himself to come into our trashy bodies. But he consecrates us. He makes us pure. It's his Holy Spirit that changes us. We don't change him. And it's beautiful. And so Jesus, John says that Jesus became flesh. And then look at what he says in verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. I'll just stop right there. Uh, birth order doesn't matter, right? I mean, that's what John's saying. He's like, in that day, how old you were mattered, right? Like, there, that was the hierarchy of life, you know? And so somebody that was older was wiser and better and all of this, right? We don't so much 
We've got an arrogant young population now, but it's, every population's always said that, right? Whoever's younger than you is arrogant. Um, sorry, as a total side. But he says, he, he ranks before me. He's better than me. It's not, I'm, I'm here baptizing because I'm here to point to him. It says in verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So this is Jesus. This is how John starts. He's the word he was a creative force. Everything was made through him. Nothing that was made was made. I'm trying to make sure I get my negatives right. Nothing, everything that was made was made through him. Nothing that was made was not made through him. Everything in the made category, Jesus put made by Jesus on it. Okay? Does that make sense? There's no getting around that. And then, and then he purposefully is the light and he's shining light into this world for everyone to see who God is, to point to the cross, to point to what Jesus is going to do, right? And changes our lives, shines light in the darkness of our souls. And he comes into flesh and God dwells with us. This is Jesus and he brings grace and truth. Don't just skip over those words. It's very easy for me too. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, good. He did good things. And that's going to be our temptation as we read through the Gospel of John. You're going to, you're going to read through it and you'll be like, I've read this before. Skim, skim. Read it like you're going to teach it. Read it like you're going to teach it to your friends, to your kids, to your spouse. Because then you start asking questions like, why? Why do you say that? What does that mean? How would I explain this? You see, grace and truth are two polar opposites in our world, aren't they? Which one do you want? Who do you want to be? Do you want to be a truth person? Just draw those lines. That's right. That's wrong. I'm all about the truth. Can't, you can't say I'm not truthful. Yeah, but you're a jerk. <laughs> or you could be all about grace. Uh, I'll just show them love. It's okay. I'll abandon truth, but I'll, I'll be about love and the love of Christ, and that's about it. You'll have a lot of friends, but you'll find that truth further and further away from your life. And what does Jesus do? He brings both. He brings grace. He brings unmerited favor towards us. And he loves us so much. He shines the light on our hearts and says, you don't want that, do you? You don't want that in your life. And so this is why we say that Jesus is Lord. We don't, we don't use that term in our normal vernacular. But Lord means that he's in charge of our lives. That's what it means. It's not just a, a statement about theology or anything like that. It's saying that, that he is Lord of my life. When we say, I adore Jesus, that's what we're saying. I adore him to the point that he has authority in my life. We just spent all this time talking about the Bible going, well, who is Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? 
Has he just become a legend? Or is he, in fact, Lord of our lives? And I'll, I'll put myself in that same category. I'm either up here lying to you, or I'm crazy, or I misunderstand this, or I, I truly believe that Jesus is Lord. For those of you that know me, you know it's the last. And that's our testimony to this world. And so we got to put this, what John says in the forefront Man, this world has been great at walking this middle line. We've been good at walking this middle line. We'll pick Jesus when it's convenient and then not pick him when it's inconvenient. But we don't have that option. And we're going to see that as John walks through this, you guys are all going to go in and you're going to read, start in chapter, uh, verse 19, and I haven't even thought about how I'm going to tell you guys which verses to read, so I've got to figure that out. If you go to tccjax.org slash study, it's, it's all of it. It's the whole book of John broken out. But I'll, I'll text it out. But um, it's also got the small group questions on there. But as you guys dive into these things, ask these questions. Every time, is Jesus Lord of my life? Is he? Don't let the uncomfortableness force you in one of the categories. Because this is John's intent. Be uncomfortable. Navigate this. What do you think? What do you say? Let me pray.